0: Hi everyone, I'm Father Grady. Welcome back to the BreakFast podcast. In this first episode, we're gonna look at Central Park, the Sunday rest, and enjoying the good things in life. Here's a trivia question. What's the most filmed location in the world? Well, the title of this episode gives it away. It's New York City's Central Park. More than 200 movies have been filmed there. That's more than double the amount for Times Square. It's the most visited park in the United States. About 15 million people visit it every year. Is it the most famous park in the world? I'm admittedly biased, but it has to be in, if not leading, that conversation. If you've ever had a bird's eye view of the park, you can appreciate just how enormous it is. Over 800 acres, two and a half miles long, half a mile wide. It runs the length of 50 city blocks, and it's by far the largest park in Manhattan, covering 6% of the island. To put that in perspective, Central Park is eight times the size of Vatican City. Not just St. Peter's Basilica, but the entire Micronation. The only thing as impressive as Central Park's size is its location. It's right smack in the middle of the city. And not just any city. You're talking about a city with arguably the most expensive real estate in the world, where prices are measured in square inches. The fact that 843 acres are dedicated to pathways and ponds, lawns and baseball fields, almost defies belief. In a city where housing is always tight, Think about how many buildings, skyscrapers, could have been put there. Instead, right in the middle of this asphalt jungle is an oasis of natural beauty. Go for a stroll on a perfect spring day, and you'll see just how beautiful it is. Flowers are in full bloom along the walkways, with rock formations jutting out next to bridges that carry you over a stream. The sheep meadow and great lawn are filled with picnickers and sunbathers. You could watch softball games see people jogging, bicycling, rowing boats out on the lake. There's a zoo and playgrounds, woods and waterfalls and birdwatchers, a Shakespeare garden, and even a castle. You can find a bench and join the spirit of leisure and fun, doing nothing but watching the world go by. Doing nothing. That sounds so attractive in a city that never sleeps. That also happens to be the financial capital of the world, where people walk at two paces fast and faster. Central Park, like any good park, offers an escape, a respite, a chance to stop and breathe, and to remind ourselves that we don't live to work, we work to live. Work is a means to an end. It allows us to enjoy the good things life offers us, time with family and friends, games and meals and travel and fun. Here, parks are a great equalizer. The rich could always afford their own outdoor spaces, expansive private property, and summer homes. But the urban poor couldn't. New York is not just the largest city in America. By itself, it would be the 13th largest state in the Union. But it's also the most densely populated, with people packed into shoebox-sized apartments. And where can they go to get away from it all? Most people here don't have cars, and even if they do, good luck getting onto a bridge or into a tunnel on a Friday afternoon. Parks level the playing field, no pun intended. They allow everyone, rich and poor, to run, to play, to do nothing. But what does all of this have to do with the Catholic faith? Actually, a lot. I would argue that parks are to cities what Sundays are to the week. Remember how I mentioned that parks provide the open spaces that the wealthy can afford but that the poor wouldn't otherwise have access to? That's what Sundays do with time. The rich can take vacations, often they can make their own hours, and find times for travel and leisure. The poor don't have that option. They're at the bottom of the ladder, and often have to fight hard for decent hours and wages. Time off, time away, can be a rare luxury. But the built-in Sunday rest allows them a respite, a chance to put all their burdens behind them, at least for a day, and enjoy the time with family to enjoy recreation, to savor the good things that life has to offer. It's a bright spot on what might otherwise be a dreary existence. We call Sunday the Lord's Day, one day every week set aside for God. And that goes back to the very beginning. God created time and also created the means by which we measure it. Most measurements of time are hardwired into the cosmic infrastructure. We measure days and years by the sun. Most people aren't aware that the very word month comes from moon. But there's no similar standard for a week. A seven-day demarcation is based on no obvious law of astronomy. We could say, correctly, that it forms a subset of a month, one-fourth of the 28-day cycle. But there's no natural reason to observe such a period in the same way that we observe days and months and years. The concept of a seven-day week comes from the creation account in Genesis. God created the world over six days, days here being a poetic term for a quite lengthy period of time. But on the seventh day, he rested. We recognize something of an anthropomorphism in the rest of God. He does not weary or exert himself the way we humans do. God rested not for his sake, but for ours. In the inspired account of creation, We see that among the many good things God created, the sun and the moon and the stars, the oceans and plants and fish and birds and man and woman, he also created the week. And he set aside one day of that week for rest and made it holy. The observance of a seven-day week, then, is itself on some level an act of faith, acknowledging, however implicitly, that creation has a creator and that he has provided for man's needs in the very structure of that creation. So what did man's work look like in the beginning, during the other six days of the week? In that state of original justice, we read that God put man in the garden to till it. We have to distinguish this tilling from the penalty imposed after the fall, when God tells Adam, Cursed is the ground because of you, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. We might wonder about the difference between tilling before the fall and toiling after it. The former involved physical activity, but it was not burdensome. We might think of any physical exertion that's enjoyable. For some, that might be gardening, for others a long run. It would be burdensome if we didn't want to do it. Instead, it's something we choose and enjoy, and after which we feel good and healthy. After the fall, however, a shift occurred. That same work now became a chore, something man didn't enjoy, but rather dreaded. It was wearisome and difficult. This is work in the usual sense, something we have to do, but don't want to, and from which we eagerly look to escape. In light of this, the day of rest became even more precious. Now, man rested not simply from regular activity, but from onerous labor. This rest was enshrined in the Ten Commandments. One of which, the third, tells us to keep holy the Sabbath day by not working. That Sabbath day was Saturday, the seventh and last day of the week. In many Romance languages, the word for Saturday is the word for Sabbath. For the first Christians, who were faithful Jews, a major shift occurred at the resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. The first Christians transferred the Sabbath observance, a cornerstone of Judaism, to Sunday, the day of the risen Lord. The first day of the week signals a new beginning, the endless day of heaven. But the third commandment still applies. We are still called to honor that day and make it holy. To the extent that people think about the third commandment at all, they often think that the Sunday obligation entails going to Mass. And it does. That's the most important thing we do each week. We are most fully ourselves when we worship God because it's what we were created primarily to do. But we have to remember that it's the Lord's day, not the Lord's hour. The whole day belongs to him. That doesn't mean we're supposed to be in church all day praying, but it does mean that the day should be different, that we're not going to Mass and then carrying on like any other day. Part of worshiping God is resting in God and the rest of our Sunday should flow from our worship. That's why the Sunday obligation includes not only attending Mass, but resting as well. It commands us to refrain from all unnecessary physical labor. Each of those words is important. First of all, it has to be labor or work. It's not just activity, but burdensome activity, chores. It's the difference between painting a picture and painting a house. One is recreation, the other is work. It could even come down to how two different people experience the same activity. For one person, pulling weeds in a garden might be an unwelcome task, a labor. For another, it's enjoyable exercise, a chance to get some fresh air. We have to know ourselves and be honest with ourselves. The work also has to be physical. Completing homework assignments or finishing the office presentation isn't physical labor, But devoting significant time to these tasks can still detract from the Sunday rest. Finally, it has to be unnecessary. Sometimes things have to get done. An emergency repair, or tidying up the house for guests, or a job that requires Sunday work, and that's how you pay the bills and feed your family. Common sense goes a long way here. We should refrain on Sundays from chores and work that can reasonably get done on other days of the week. I would include in this unnecessary shopping. I was always struck by the fact that in many European cities and towns that have long ceased from being actively Catholic, there's still a sense that Sunday is different. Shops are closed, even grocery stores. That might sound like an inconvenience if we're not used to it, but it does force you to plan ahead, to be mindful that Sunday is not like every other day of the week. Now, someone might say that shopping is a form of leisure. Well, not for those who have to work in the stores. They are denied the Sunday rest. They can't spend the day with family and friends. Again, there's not a hard and fast rule here. No one-size-fits-all approach. Many businesses have to remain open. Emergency services, sure, but also hotels, restaurants, parks. I would just say that raw consumerism should be avoided. Sure, the shoe store might be open on Sunday, but if there's any other time during the week when we can buy those shoes, it's better to do so. When these stores are closed, we're reminded that Sunday belongs not to us, but to God. Families instill these lessons in their children from a young age. In my first parish, we had a large religious education program with around a thousand children in it. I would see very few of them at Sunday Mass. And when I asked why they don't go to church, I knew the answer that was coming. We're very busy. And what were they so busy doing? Little league games or soccer games, the organized sports that have become our secular religion. Those sports are fine insofar as they're recreation, but insofar as they impede our worship of God and make Sunday just another day of running around, managing schedules, fitting it all in, well, we need to avoid that and push back against it. But we've allowed it. It wasn't all that long ago that there wouldn't be any organized sports on Sundays. Then it was practice. Then it was games on Sunday afternoons. Then Sunday mornings. Imagine if every Catholic family refused to participate, to say, no, this day belongs to God and to our family. When did the salt begin to lose its flavor? Can we get it back? What a difference it would make if Catholics began to reclaim Sundays. To give witness to others that Sunday is different. It could really refocus a society that has largely forgotten its meaning. It's one of the easiest, most ready-made means of evangelization. But first, we have to believe it ourselves. And we have to protect and promote it. Here in New York City, it's almost unheard of for stores to be closed on Sunday. We're so driven by consumerist cravings. You look and see the opening hours posted and They maybe close one hour earlier on Sundays. That doesn't allow all that much rest. And it seems like work creeps ever more intrusively into our lives. It used to be that you punched out or left the office and you were free from all those cares for the evening or the weekend. But first with pagers and smartphones and then work from home, those lines are more blurred, if not gone altogether. It feels like we're always on call that we can never really turn it off and get away. That's not healthy. It wears us down, all the fallout of our fallen condition. We know that work and toil are part of this life on earth, but it shouldn't be the main part. We need to protect and savor those moments, those days, when we have nothing else to do but love God and our neighbor. That rest harkens back to the beginning, to man in his pre-fallen condition, but it looks ahead as well to our heavenly reward. There's a reason that we pray for the deceased, may they rest in peace. Heaven is the eternal Sunday, the endless day, when we will do nothing but worship God and rest in his peace. That's why we refer to heaven as the garden of paradise. We can see signs pointing to that from the very beginning, when God created Adam and Eve in a garden and walked in the garden with them. Jesus, the new Adam, was laid to rest in a garden, and was risen, reborn, in a garden. He too walked in the garden of the new creation, as Mary Magdalene mistook him for the gardener. But in a sense, she was right. God is the gardener, the one who creates, arranges, and nourishes all of creation. Gardens and parks serve as an apt metaphor for the entire spiritual life. They are places of cultivated nature. It's not pure wilderness, but it takes the natural beauty and orders it, elevates it. So too does God take our soul, which he has created, and elevates it with his grace. That grace comes to us through prayer, the sacraments, scripture, good works, all of which take the good soul that God has created and makes it even better, beautifying it and making it a lovely place where God is also pleased to walk. So let's start really taking Sundays seriously, and making them fun again, making them days when we pray hard and play hard, when we waste time with God and with the people and things that we love. There's a reason Central Park stands in the heart of New York City, surrounded by so many skyscrapers and office buildings. It's there to remind people to slow down once in a while. This life on earth isn't always a picnic. It's often very much like the work week filled with busyness and stress and setbacks and frustrations. But it won't always be like that. Heaven waits for us as the eternal rest. And God gives us a sneak preview even now, the Sunday rest, to ease our burdens, to savor the good things in life, and to remind us that at least every once every seven days, life really should be a walk in the park.